Amen. All right, Luke chapter 6, uh, 17 through 26 is where we pick up today. Uh, you can flip there in your Bible. We have Bibles in the seats here. And uh, grab one of those if you don't have one. Bring it home if you don't have one back at home. And uh, we'll also have scripture on the screen for you if that's a little bit easier. Uh, Last week, uh, we finished in verse 11. A few weeks prior to that, we were in 12 through 16. And so we've been bouncing around a bit, but we're very committed to cover every single verse in uh, the book of Luke. And so we pick up today in 17, uh, pressing forward in this, this great journey through the gospel according to Luke on the man, the message, and the mission of Jesus. And it's really, really been good so far. I'm loving it. You guys enjoying it? Loving this stuff. It's so good. And so uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to stick with where we're at in the text. We're going to stick with the narrative of the text. But let's not forget where we fall today in the church calendar. That it is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Where at the end of the week he's going to be nailed to the cross. And he's going to be buried. And then he's going to resurrect. And the people today, Palm Sunday, are completely unaware of this. And the people are lining the streets and they are worshiping him. And they're worshiping him with palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. They're waving them in celebration. They're, they're carpeting the road with palm branches and even their, their cloaks. And Jesus is walking on top of them on a colt uh, down into Jerusalem, walking right on top of these branches. Now, uh, I've told you this in the past, past Palm Sundays, but uh, just to remind you, the palm branch is the Jewish national symbol. And so we have Jesus, picture this, walking on top of a Jewish national symbol. And I think that's a very important thing for us to see, that he's on top of them. That's a, a, a reality that, that Jesus' kingdom is going to be greater than the nation and the people of Israel. God is doing something even bigger than Israel. It is global. It is eternal. God is doing something huge. Israel is very important. Very important and near to the heart of God. She has a unique place in salvation history. But God is doing something so much bigger. God is doing something global. Judaism was a wonderful masterpiece. Not the religiosity and the, this religion that they had kind of sculpted it to be by piling all these rules on top of it like we talked about the past two weeks. But, but God's uh, old covenant was a, a beautiful thing. But it was not the finished masterpiece. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the finished masterpiece. And so Jesus walks in on Palm Sunday. He receives their worship as they're waving these palm branches and he's walking on top of, reigning over their national symbol because he is inaugurating a new kingdom. And what we can't miss as we look through the book of Luke is that Luke is really concerned with the the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is going to do this week is he's going to start to lay out his plans for his new kingdom, his, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. So at the end of my junior year of high school, I decided that I would run for student body president. And I'll just, just be real honest, it was selfish reasons. Uh, I wanted it to look good on my college applications, and so it was just really, really selfish. But I, I grabbed a friend of mine, his name was Cole, and Cole was a, a soccer player, and he was in with all the soccer people, and so I said, hey, you want to be my running mate? You can be my vice president. And so he was my uh, vice president, hooked us up with some soccer votes, and uh, my platform 
was a senior courtyard. That was my platform. We're going to get a senior courtyard, a place where seniors, when you became a senior in high school, you could go and have your lunch, and you could escape that cafeteria where all the underlings are, you know, the the underclassmen. And it was this awesome platform, this change of global proportions, right, that we were going to have a senior courtyard. We were going to solve massive world problems like cafeteria congestion. That was a big issue. We were going to get the seniors out of there and and open up a quarter of the space. We were going to create a behavior incentive for the teachers because if you were well behaved and you did all your work, you could, as a senior, go to the the courtyard. We were going to drastically reduce the high school dropout rate. Because who's going to drop out of high school when they got a senior courtyard to look forward to, right? And so that was a big part of our, our platform. And so uh, uh, we were working really, really hard. Election week rolled around, and my buddy Cole and I wore a tuxedo every single day of the week for election week. And uh, we got it through some, sh- you know, politicians can be a little shady sometimes. And uh, we, we, we broke into the Glee Club's storage unit and... Got up in there, and we got, we borrowed their tuxedos for a week. And so we had tuxedos for a week. We put them back, so we, we did that. But uh, election week came around. We're wearing our tuxedos. Uh, I cut my teeth in preaching by standing up before the student body and, and giving this awesome speech. Not really. It was terrible. And, and debating a little bit. And uh, voting started, and we won. Student body president. How about that? Uh, poor motives. It was, it was not good. But a senior year came, came around after the summer, and, and we got to work. We had some peace talks with the administration and uh, sat down with them and, and said, here's our plan. Here's what we want to do. And uh, they bought it. And so by the end of my senior year, spring rolls around, and we had a courtyard where we could go, the seniors could go, and they could enjoy the warm weather and be outside. We had tables, we had benches, we had uh, new flowers put in, uh, some trees planted, and the coolest thing of all is we had a gazebo, right? We could hang out in the gazebo, and uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it that year. That was our legacy as seniors, and we, we were so, so pumped about that. It was, it was real, lasting change. And, and we did what every leader who is great is going to do is you're going to share some promises. You're going to share some, some changes, right? What's the buzzword with any political campaign? You know it, change, right? We're going to bring about change. But my change didn't last very long because I remember going back after college and my, my sister was graduating high school seven years later, something like that. And I was at her high school graduation and the principal got before the podium was so excited to announce that they were going to build a brand new gymnasium. And where were they going to put it? Right on top of my senior courtyard. And so everybody was excited except for me, this 23-year-old punk who wasn't happy at all. But real change, right? Real change is the promise of political leaders everywhere. And for some of you, you want it, right? Some of you, you're thinking about your own life and you're thinking, you know, I want some change. You know, something has to change. What were the people of Israel looking for? As Kevin mentioned, they wanted change, right? They, something had to change. They'd been oppressed by Rome for, for far too long. They were an occupied people who had Romans in there, uh, stealing from them more or less their, their tax money and, and just being, being awful to them and, and oppressive to them. And the hope of Israel was this Messiah, this leader who would uh, be maybe a, a political leader, uh, a military leader who would come in and change things. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. And when they started to get an idea that Jesus was the Messiah, 
they were thinking he's going to be the one to bring about change. But their thinking was very, very limited. Jesus' kingdom had no historical span. It was here and now, but it was also eternal. Jesus' kingdom had no geographical border. It was international, and it was even heavenly. Jesus' kingdom had no race, no lineage, no bloodline. It was the shed blood of of Jesus, if any blood at all. Jesus' kingdom had no national language. It was just the language of love. That was the kingdom of Jesus. His kingdom was different than anybody expected at all. He was bringing about some change with his leadership. And it's the kind of change that we really need. And I think it's the kind of change that that deep down in the depths of who we are, we, we really, really long for. And many people don't even realize that they long for this change, but, but we want it. And so read with me Luke chapter 6. And, and we're just going to read the whole thing, 17 through 26, our passage for today. It says, he came down. He was on the mountain where he had appointed his uh, 12. He comes down from there with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry Now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus is the last great prophet, and their fathers had done this to all the prophets before. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. The one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That whole text is what we're going to be covering for the next couple of weeks together. Jesus beginning to lay out plans for His kingdom. Today we're just going to get to verse 26. He starts to describe here's the change. Here's what it's going 
to, to look like. Here's the vision. Here's the platform. Here's what we're going to do. How's that for a platform that Jesus lays out here? Ron Paul, anyone? Right? This is crazy, right? This is extreme stuff. And, and for many of you, you're hearing this in this content. You know, it's, it's familiar. Okay, I've, I've heard that before. They're, they're known as the Beatitudes, which is a Latin form of, of the word happy. And much of this content is, is also in Matthew's depiction of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and here's what's happening. I believe they're two different sermons. Uh, as a teacher, Jesus is going to travel around and, and, and some of the content is going to overlap. This is known as the Sermon on the Plain. We have the Sermon on the Mount, so you're probably familiar with that. And the Sermon on the Mount, he gives a few more uh, Beatitudes. But what's happening is, is not unlike a, a, a political candidate on the campaign trail. He's, he's going around and saying some of the same stuff. Here's the plan. Here's what my kingdom is going to look like. My, my presidency, my leadership, my kingship is going to bring about about some very real change. Things are going to be different under my rule. In fact, they're beginning to get a taste of that, aren't they? If you look at the, the, the words in black that we just read, the, the, the first few verses, 17 through 19 there, we, we get an idea of, uh, uh, wow, they're already seeing some incredible things take, to pl- take place around Jesus. Demons are, are within people and they're fleeing out of people. Diseases are being eradicated completely. Death is even being reversed on some occasions, right? He's resurrected uh, some people. Wherever Jesus went in his time on this earth, it was like sin and disease and darkness just fled. That's the kingdom of Jesus. And people were flocking to that. They were following that. And then in the midst of all the crowds coming and seeing this and just watching this amazing person with whom darkness just flees out of uh, his presence, he starts to, to teach. And so yes, there's amazing miracles and that's where we tend to want to go. But his teaching is very important. I think Luke puts an emphasis on the teaching. If you look at verse 18, he says that people came to hear and be healed. He strategically puts the, the hearing first. So yeah, it's amazing what he's doing, but, but, but the hearing of what Jesus has to say is incredibly important. And I want you to hear what he has to say for us today. We need, listen, look at me. We need to hear this. So forget the familiarity for a minute. Because I know it's very familiar, the Beatitudes, you've heard it, check. Now we need to hear the change that he is outlining for us. Many of us, we, we feel it in our hearts and our souls. There's some things that have to change. Maybe you don't know that yet, but there, there's like a discontentment happening. We're longing for something more. We want it to be better than this. Could it be better than this, what I'm going through right now? And it can be. And so he's, he's speaking to you today, even as a, a Christian, we have not arrived. It can change. Look at me. It should change. Things should change. And you, things should be changing in me with this text. And what I'm talking about, the kind of change I'm talking about, is the outworking of Jesus' kingdom on earth. Palm Sunday, they're worshiping him as this king coming in to their city. And we need to think on the outworkings of his kingdom on earth. And see, in verses 20 through 26, Jesus is providing some really powerful encouragement to citizens of his new 
kingdom. He's saying, hey guys, this is how we're going to roll. This is how it's going to look under my reign. And throughout the gospel of Luke, Jesus just keeps unveiling more and more and more about his rule and his reign, his kingdom. This is just very foundational. He was a revolutionary leader. And like every revolutionary leader, you lay out your plan for how things are going to be different when you're in charge. For how humanity is going to flourish when you're in charge. For the kind of people that he wants his kingdom to become. Things are going to be different. It's going to be counter-cultural. He's going to completely sidestep the cultural norms. He's not a leader who's going to come in like a Republican or come in like a, a Democrat and say, I've got massive plans for change, but his change really is not complete overhaul. It's just a tweaking of things in a Democratic way or a Republican kind of way. No, Jesus isn't tweaking anything. He is completely flipping it upside down. This is drastic change that he's talking about here. It is radical. It is countercultural. Living in the, the kingdom lifestyle of Jesus, he's not going to tweak your world when you become a Christian. He says, I don't want to just change things a little bit. I want to completely mess up your world in a good way. Some of you have experienced that. Wow, Jesus has just messed me up. And it's good. <laughs> And others are, I became a Christian, a little bit of, you know, well, some change happened. I stopped drinking or whatever it was. I don't know. That's not, that's not Jesus' change. He's not tweaking. He's flipping things on their heads in a, an amazing way. People are, are longing for this in our culture. Maybe you're longing for it. People don't know it. Maybe you don't even know it. You have no idea what he wants to do and how amazing it will be. He's going to start to lay it out. He lays it out this way. He gives us four blessings and he gives us four woes. And again, very familiar, the Beatitudes, but let's hear it afresh uh, today. He says, blessed are, what he's talking about is for these people, God's favor, God's love are uniquely resting on this person. Blessed are the who? He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who are loaded with sorrow, blessed are those who are hated, you are blessed. What? He says, and woe, which means, hey, look out, caution, warning, you may be cursed, you could be under God's judgment, those who are wealthy, who are well-fed, who are happy, who are well-liked, woe to you. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, is taking cultural values and he's just completely flipping them upside down. This is crazy talk. But that's exactly what we need is some crazy talk today. He gives us four kingdom values if you're taking notes. I think he gives us four really incredible kingdom values. It's just totally backwards in his kingdom. Totally countercultural. I mean, think about how countercultural this is. For, for us today, as you watch uh, movies, television shows, documentaries, you share stories and testimonials. What are we always sharing? We're always sharing success stories, right? Rags to riches kind of stories. That's, that's what we always like to share. We love, love to hear those, right? So a, a, a very poor person ends up living the dream. You, you've seen American Idol. I don't think we're like on season 32 now. And so I, I gave up like 10 seasons ago. But you've seen it. 
They, they do the features on the person who was, you know, very poor, and now they're, they're, they're doing really well because of American Idol. And they're, they, they got a business, and they're going. It's awesome, right? They were living in their car, and now they're, they're, they're singing on the, the tour and, and going through luxury hotels. Or they were playing on the street corner, and, and now they're playing before tens of thousands and millions watching on, on TV. Rags to riches. Or, or a, a person who, who could barely feed their, their family, and they end up getting the, the, the dream job. And they can provide in amazing ways, and they get the house they always wanted. Right? Rags to riches. Or, or the person who had some awful life tragedy and they were incredibly sorrowful. And then ABC comes in and builds them their dream home, right? And now the home is full of laughter and joy. It's wonderful, right? Or, or, or the person who everyone hated because they were just so cold and, and they were so Ebenezer Scrooge. And, and suddenly by this amazing change, now they're, they're full of joy and happiness and well-liked. Dislike to, to well-like, like the Grinch. I mean, we can go through all kinds of characters, right? We love our rags to riches story, don't we? These, these stories speak to our values as Americans in particular. But Jesus comes in. He doesn't tweak our values. He blows up our values. And think about his life embodied this, didn't it? His life was the complete opposite. Not rags to riches, but riches to rags. He was God, King of kings, Lord of lords, enthroned in the glories of heaven that we can't even possibly fathom. Riches, and he steps into rags among the lowest of the, the, the low. Or even the beginning of his ministry as we looked at earlier in Luke and everybody was singing his praises and this guy is amazing. They went from singing his praises to they hated his teaching. Ran out of his own town after his sermon. They tried to throw him over a cliff. Or even this week, Palm Sunday today, singing his praises, as Kevin mentioned. By the end of the week, they're not going to be singing his praises. They're going to be singing, kill him, kill him, kill him. And then Friday night, they're going to hang him up on the cross. And they will. They'll crucify him. And so, so many of us Christians say, I'm a Christian. Root word, Christ. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Jesus. Really? Let me ask you. Really? You want to be like Jesus? You want that? Because as I hear people share their hopes and their dreams, as I hear people talk about their vision and what they think God wants for them, it's a little different than what we see in the, the scriptures. I hear, how could Jesus let this happen? I hear, how could Jesus let me struggle financially? How could Jesus let me live here in this city in a small apartment while I'm watching all these other people getting out of the city and climbing and getting bigger places and doing really well for themselves? How, how could Jesus let me be challenged at my work for my faith? How could Jesus let me be challenged in the classroom for my faith, my positions? My question is, how could you have possibly expected otherwise? Are you reading the same Bible as I'm reading? Matthew chapter 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Cross and follow me. Not take up his pillow and follow me. Take up his cross execution tool. Let's go. 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
God, this is so weird. Why me? It's not strange. Romans 8, 17. We suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all because of my name. Later in verse 39. He who has found his life in me will lose his life. 1 Corinthians 4, 10. We are seen as fools for Christ's sake. Pretty clear in the scripture. Yet it seems like we're constantly pursuing the opposite. Not self-denial, but self-exaltation. Not trials, but ease. Not suffering for Christ, but only affirmation from Christ. Not fools for Jesus, but approved by men. Not the fear of God, but the fear of man. Seems like that's what we in American Christianity are pursuing. Well, Josh, you're doing an awesome job up there convincing me to want to be a Christian. (laughs) Listen, it's better to become a biblical Christian than an American Christian. I think so many are deceived. Now, please hear me. Jesus is not saying, my dream for you is that you would be poor. That's your destiny. He's not saying, my my dream for you is that you would be mocked and despised. When that happens, I'm just like, awesome. I love that. (laughs) I love that. He's not saying, my my dream for you is that you would just grieve all the time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, my dream for you is that you would be able to live in my kingdom in such a way that you transcend all of that. That you're outside of all of that. You're outside of the values of the world where you need all of that. Approval and success and money and ease and comfort. So let's, let's look at these one by one. Blessed are the poor. There's your first one if you want to write it down. Verse 20 says, blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Skip down to the counterpart. Verse 24, we'll skip around a bit. But woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Is he saying rich people are stupid and poor people are awesome? Is that what he's saying? Because I I think if we really took that overly literally, we would say, okay, that's exactly what he's saying. No. No, absolutely not. You have strong believers in the Bible who are really wealthy. And we need those people. Right? Absolutely. He's not doing that. And he's also not saying all poor people are going to have the kingdom of God. No, who is he talking to? He's talking to Christian poor people people right how do we know this look at the beginning look at verse 20 the beginning he says it says and he lifted his eyes on his who on his disciples and said blessed are you who are poor so he's talking to the christian poor the disciples who are poor so in the midst of the crowd i love this he's got this massive crowd following him i don't even know what that looked like but it says he looks his eyes upon his disciples he looks his eyes upon christians and delivers these beatitudes delivers his plan here's here's the truth he's not saying this is how you need to act and that will then earn you a place in my kingdom he's saying listen be comforted if you're in my kingdom all this is true of you you're blessed you're blessed you're blessed you're blessed he's speaking to christian poor and he's saying you may be poor but you are rich because your riches are my kingdom your eternal inheritance 
and many of you will stay poor for following me. You will not be able to climb the ladder because of religious persecution. Some job opportunities might not be afforded to you because you proclaim Jesus as Lord and they need you to live a life that's not, con- not uh, in line with that. You may not climb the ladder because you value family over the corporate success that just works against that all the time. Maybe uh, to, to the rich uh, who are oppressing you, who have skewed values, he, he says, listen, just understand that they receive their consolation. If that's what they want, that's what they get. That's it. You get it. But it only lasts until this life. That's it. And then it's over. It's over. He's speaking to another kind of poor as well in, in this passage. He, he, he shares uh, some of this content on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Sermon on the Plain, remember? He, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, in that one. So he adds that in that, that one. That is the antithesis to pride, to the proud. You are poor in spirit. So it's not self-achievement, self-success uh, and, and wealth and, and, and stuff. You're poor in your spirit. In other words, you're not trusting on self. You're not denying on your own ambition. You're trusting fully in Lord, and so Jesus is saying, listen, in my kingdom, we transcend above wealth and stuff and material and poverty and struggle. We're outside of that because we have the kingdom of God. We have an eternal inheritance. And do you see how that starts to lead to human flourishing? Whether you're poor or you're wealthy, if you're a believer, you're freed from the rat race of pursuing things that aren't going to last. You're free to live your life for the things that matter most. The things that you're going to find joy in. Trust me. Maybe you've been living your life that way for a while where you're in the rat race. And you feel like, man, I've achieved things but there's got to be more. It just seems like there's, there's more. Our boy Tom Brady, some of you have seen the YouTube video. I mean, he's on top of everything in the athletic world. And there's this video where he just goes, yeah, but I feel it. I mean, he literally says it. I've got everything. But there's something more out there. I just can't help but feeling like there's something more out there. It doesn't mean more stuff or more achievement. When he says more I think he's meaning there, there's something else. Not like more stuff. I need to get more, but I need something else. And what it is, is this invisible kingdom of God that was inaugurated by Jesus Christ and will be fully realized when he returns. The rewards of the kingdom are, are, are not the rewards that we earn with our, our own two hands. That's how we think we've got to work hard enough. That's not the kingdom. The rewards of the kingdom are the things that he earned with his own two hands hanging on the cross. The freedom that he gave us. Be freed up by that to transcend because he descended. So let's quickly look at the other three. Verse 21. Here's the next one. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you shall be satisfied. Skip ahead to 25. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And again, it comes physically and it comes spiritually. 
So, so physically, Israel, many Christian people um, and, and the people of Israel uh, of the Old Covenant as well ha- had difficulty feeding themselves and surviving financially because of the persecution of, of the Romans. Because their, their persecutors are taxing them at just astronomical rates where they just could not survive. They could not provide. And, and Jesus says, hey, believers, hold on. Hold on. In the midst of all that, you can have eternal satisfaction. I know, I know you're, you're hungry, but you can, be, you can be full. You can be completely satisfied. And, and, and not just physically. There, there, there's a spiritual thing we're talking about here too, Jesus. He's saying, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just literally, but he's saying for, for righteousness. In other words, Christians... You are blessed because you are pursuing right things, righteousness, a life that honors God. And what we need to do is we need to all evaluate our heart. What are you hungering for? Ask yourself that right now. What, what am I hungering for? Am I hungering for God? Am I hungering for holiness? Am I hungering for the Bible? Am I hungering for more opportunity to minister and be a part of the Great Commission as he's called me to? Or am I hungering for things that aren't going to matter 100 years from now. Blessed are you who hunger and hunger and thirst for righteousness. But woe to you who are full now. You're doing all right now, but you're pursuing the wrong thing. Verse 21, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Skip down 25, but woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So physically, it appeared that persecutors and oppressors had the last laugh, right? They're physically persecuting people and they would go on to, 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 to martyr, kill Christians and, and they would mock in Jesus on the cross and then they shut the stone on the tombstone or the tomb door. Maybe you've experienced some, some taunting, some, some jeering, some jabs, some, some disrespect for your faith. Maybe you haven't because you've been silent. You should. You should expect it as a Christian. You should be speaking, proclaiming the message of Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, well, they laugh now. And you weep now. But in eternity, what does Revelation say about those tears? It says he's going to wipe away every tear from their eye. And you will get, get to laugh for all eternity. That's physically. But spiritually, how do you weep today? Spiritually, do you weep over your sin? Are you a person who is described by being repentant? You can either do so now, willingly, or you will see your sin for all it is and and how detrimental it is later. But if you do so now, he says, I have joy here and awaiting you. Now, the last one, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and they revile you. And they spurn your name on account of the Son of Man, Jesus. Have you ever been there? You've been in a place where people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil. That's typically when we say, well, God, what? He says, no, I told you. Some of us have experienced family members hating us or being upset with us because you abandoned their faith heritage in order to follow Jesus. Some of you have people who see you as 
evil. I mean, it's very common in our day, especially. People see Christians as evil because of their convictions on marriage, on homosexuality. Accused of being evil and, and, and hateful. It's already seen that it's, we're moving in the direction of preaching against homosexuality is, is seen as a hate crime. That's why he says they spurn your name as evil. They see you as evil on account of Jesus. Jesus says you're blessed. You're favored. You are loved by me. You're loved by me. And so through the ages, believers keep coming back to this passage and they keep finding great, great comfort. And some of you, you need to find comfort in this passage today. Jesus' kingdom and, and, and Jesus' leadership if you follow it fully, it frees you from the trapping and the, the trivial pursuits of this age. And you who are not wealthy, you can feel like a million bucks. And, and, and you who are hungry for God can be deeply satisfied. And, and you who weep and, and, and grieve can have great hope even in the midst of pain. Peace that passes all understanding. You who are hated, can know this greatest love of Jesus. You can be freed to love even people who are unlovable and you can love people unconditionally. See how the kingdom of God is so different than anything the world knows. And Jesus is just starting to lay out this platform, this, this vision for what his kingdom is gonna be like. This is the kind of change that Jesus brings. And we who are his people need to increasingly live out these policies of Jesus and be increasingly this kind of kingdom, this kind of citizens that he describes. Now look at me as I said at the beginning. We are not there yet. Do not say I'm good. Heard that passage. I'm there. We're not there yet. As a church family, we're not there yet. We need to be continually changing in this area. Church, I believe that we need to become poorer. I believe that we need to become hungrier. I believe that we need to become increasingly mournful. I believe that we need to become less concerned about the world's approval. Walk with me through, through these, just on a practical level, and we'll close up. Poorer. If that's a value of Jesus, what I think that means is we need to give more. We need to give more to the kingdom work of Jesus. It may mean you have to go without some things. But those things that you're putting your money towards, you're not going to care about when your life is nearing its end. You're not going to care because it's not going to go with you. The Bible says it's all going to burn up. We need to care more about the people who have real needs and spiritual needs. We need to give to those causes. We need to constantly be looking out for the needs of others and more and more and more. When there is presented before you an opportunity to give, we should be saying, let me just, I just want to give as much as I could possibly give. Because Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the people who, who they, they're so outside of this financial thing that our world is so consumed with and security of your bank account. We should be jumping on that. We should be denying self when we have opportunities for ministry put before us. We should be banging down the door. Let me serve. Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to serve. 
That's the kingdom. We should never, ever, ever have to beg. Beg, please come help us do this. We need help. Should be, I would love to help. Love to help. We need to be poorer. We need to be hungrier. I've been praying that we would be hungrier. Ryan and I were just praying the other day for that. That there would be this deep-rooted hunger for God in our souls. And I think the, the, the key here for us is that we need to leave some room in our bellies for it. You know what I mean? It's been a, a number of times where I'll come home and, and, and I just couldn't control myself and I grab a snack or something on the way home and like ate a bag of chips or ruined, you know, my dinner and I walk in the door and Becky's just got this amazing thing cooking that just smells awesome and I'm not hungry. <laughs> it's because I didn't leave any room in my belly for something that was so much better. I feel like we're f- filling ourselves up with things. Jesus is so much better. His kingdom is so much better. Let's leave some space to be more hungry. I pray that you would come here every single Sunday and just be eager. You'd come early. You'd just be ready. Just, Lord, I just want to be with God and his people today. And just worship out of this desperation. Just, I love you, Lord. You're awesome. Fill me. Give me more of yourself. Just show me more. I want to know you more. I'm praying that that would be us. That our worship would, would, would change a bit. That it would move towards a worship of desperation, a worship that is passionate, a worship that maybe a good word to describe it is hungry worship. You know what I mean? We sit down and we open our Bibles and we're just hungry in the morning. I just want to hear from you, God. I just want to devour the bread of life, your word. I'm praying for hunger. I'm praying that would be more mournful, that, that we would be more apt to bring to light sin. The Bible says we need to confess our sins one to another. That means we've got to be raw and open and honest. We're constantly praying that we would never be the superficial church. You walk in, how are you, brother? Blessed. How are you, brother? Blessed. How's it going? Oh, I'm busy. Life's crazy. You know, same old, same old. Sit down. That's not church. Is that church? When did that become church? It isn't America. It's pathetic. That we would be, man, I'm struggling this week. I struggled in this sin. I failed big time. I stink as a husband right now. I need some counsel. I need some help. I've been snappy with my spouse. I've been angry and sharp with my kids. Help. I've been denying Christ on my dorm. Help. Be honest. Be open. Be, be, be mournful, right? Be mournful. And then we'd be growing leaps and bounds. Be a people who are marked by repentance. For some reason in this conversion kind of Christianity, it was just like convert and you're good. We work out our salvation in fear and trembling, the Bible says. What I think that means is there's this constant repentance happening. Repentance is a regular practice of believers. We'd be growing leaps and bounds and we'd be growing in holiness that you could look back on your life a year later, even six months, even a month later, and say, there's been a lot of change. A lot of change in my life. I got an email this week. I just want to tell you, man, God has changed me over the past year. That fires me up. 
That's what we want. We want to be different because we're mournful. We see our sin and we, we turn. And the last thing is that we would be okay with being hated and that we would be okay with being excluded. Now listen, don't get me wrong on this. It drives me nuts, those Christians who are like persecution hunters. Like they want to be persecuted as if it's some notch in their belt. Yeah, everybody hates me at work because I'm a jerk with my Bible. That's not what we're talking about. You don't want to be a jerk. But if they see you as a jerk because you're proclaiming something that's true with grace and love, gentleness and respect, then we need to be okay with that. We don't need to back down. But so many of us are cowards. I've I've been convicted of it. I heard somebody recently say, don't be a lion in the pulpit and a coward in your neighborhood. I'm praying that I would share the gospel of Jesus with my neighbors more readily. All of us need this. We need to be okay with being hated, with being excluded, with being considered as evil and people spurning our names. Because we're not about the approval of others. We're about, I've got the approval of God. He says it's on me, you know? He says, I've got it. So let's live like that. Let's live with the fear of God, not the fear of man. These are all things that he says, you're blessed if this happens to you. My blessing is on you when you get it. Don't let it stop you. You transcend all of that because of the kingdom. I don't make it all a little bit better. I make it different. That's, That's what Jesus is talking about here. We're not there yet. And so we need to pray. And here's how we need to pray. And I'd ask that you guys would join me in this. We started out with this a little bit already. We pray palms up. And we would just pray, God, help us. And this common prayer, the Lord's Prayer, some of you refer to it as our Father, that we would pray that one line over and over and over again. God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we want that kingdom that he's talking about, that we would have it here on earth. And we are agents of the kingdom. And so he's saying, you want to see more of that? You want human flourishing the way I see it? You've got to You've got to be the answer to your own prayer sometimes. You've got to mourn. You've got to start sharing your faith. You've got to start giving. You've got to start serving. You've got to start loving. You've got to get desperate. You've got to make space. And then you'll be living out the kingdom. Other people will see it. It gets contagious. Other people will see how you transcend all the trials and the struggles. And they'll want it. And so we pray that way. God, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then verse 23, the closing verse of the blessings, he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. We can have crazy values, kingdom values, and we can rejoice because you know what? It doesn't matter how terrible things get on this earth if they do. Everybody's story is different. It doesn't matter how terrible it gets on this earth because we have this amazing eternal reward and we can rejoice every single day rejoice because we're under the lordship of king jesus and so let's pray father we just pray that we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and god we pray that you would help us to be answers to our own prayers you inaugurated the kingdom you did all the work you're seated at the right hand of the father jesus But now we've got to live out 
this plan. We've got to live out this thing that you paid for us. We've got to live as a people who live like citizens of an eternal kingdom, that this earth is not our home. That we are bought with the price, we are not our own, that we're different. And somehow when we get hit on the left and hit on the right, and kicked in the gut and, and swept our feet out from under us over and over and over again, we just keep saying, God is good, I'm full of joy, I love him, I hope in him. Jesus is my king. I'm not turning back. I'm not backing down. I'm pressing forward. And we can do so because we know that we're blessed regardless of circumstance. Because you're our king and we submit to your authority. God, help us, mold us, shape us to increasingly be a church family that is distinct. We are so different. We are so much more than a service. That is not what you died for. You died to set in motion this kingdom that is history shaping, eternity shaping. And so Lord, do that in us. Individually, collectively. Help us to never be satisfied but to excel still more as you tell us in Thessalonians. Just keep growing. Do that work in us, Father, for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom so that all people can flourish under the goodness and this radical plan, the gospel of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.